following message is from Narrative Church, a Lutheran church located in Williamson County, Texas. For more information, go to www.narrative.church. I don't know about all of you, but I don't always like being called out. Have you ever had that happen where you're in the midst of doing something or you have done something and then someone goes, you know, you really shouldn't have done fill in the blank, right? Where there was something that you were doing, whatever it was, and they just call you to the mats. I wish I could say in my life that only happened to me once and then I felt that, you know, that shame and it was done. The problem is as a highly extroverted person, uh, it takes a surgical team at times to remove my foot from my mouth. Because it can just get to a point where if I'm leaning into a joke or something's going on and I just pass a certain point, and then a friend calls me out. I have a buddy, Phil, who's a great guy. And sometimes when I'm having an issue, uh, you know, there are these different people I call to just kind of help me talk through it. And sometimes I avoid calling Phil because it's annoying. I want him to, you know, set up camp with me at my pity party. And instead what he does is he goes, well, have you thought about it like this? And I'm like, I don't care about that, Phil. I want you to join me in whatever emotion I'm feeling Stop being right. Our struggle as humanity is that constant tension against sin. Our struggle, especially as Christians, is that when we have been bought with a price that Jesus is salvation for us, when he does that throughout scriptures, we see there's not room for sin after Jesus has called us. We even see that in his ministry. Think about when he encounters the woman at the well. He is kind to her. He is compassionate, but he calls her out. She's standing there, and he's having this conversation with her. And then he's basically like, hey, and so, you know, how many husbands have you had? Oh, okay, so four. And now the guy you're with, he's not your husband. Fascinating. And they keep talking. And finally, she confesses that he is the Messiah. She understands. He goes, yes, I am he. I'm the one. Go and sin no more. The same thing with the woman caught in adultery. He who's without sin casts the first stone. Well, no one can. He picks her up, says, go and sin no more. No one condemns you, neither do I. Go and sin no more. We see that when he heals, when he encounters, when he forgives, it is never at a point where he goes, hey, I know what you did was really sinful and you really messed up. Now just do it a little bit less next time. No, he says, go and sin no more. More. So what do we do as a people of God living in redemption, knowing that what the Savior has told us is to go and sin no more? First off, we don't have an excuse. 
I think it is easy for us as humans to create excuses for things that we do. And you know exactly what I'm talking about. You make a decision, and then you make a list of why it's an okay decision. And you know it's the wrong decision. Have you ever been in that point that you're like, okay, I should do this? And it could be something simple, right? For me this week, it was mow the lawn. Now, for a minute, I had COVID. And so the forest of weeds in my backyard, it was like, I don't want long COVID. Now, no one tell my wife, but I might have milked that a little bit. So, you know, when I was sick, okay, yeah, like mowing the lawn is going to harm me more. But then getting into the next week, well, I don't want to relapse. <laughs> Never want that. So sometimes it's simple decisions. It's the chore that needs to be done. And we just kind of put it off and put it off. But sometimes it's a relational decision. It's something with a friend, a neighbor, a coworker, a family member. And we make a decision, and then we try to explain away why we've made that decision. And sometimes it's detrimental to ourselves. We make decisions that are based on addictions or on idols or on how we want to feel. And we explain away, well, it's okay. Here's why it's okay. We are a people who do not like being told that we are sinful. And I would argue it's not because we don't know it, right? I think we all know that we struggle with certain sins. I think we all know and we look and we go, yep, that's something I struggle with. But I think in the way that my friend Phil calls me out and I feel that of like, well, I understand what you're saying, but I don't like that you're telling me I'm wrong. I think when we are encountered with our own sin, it is our gut check to first thing we do is be antagonistic and push back. We don't like people telling us that we are sinful. We don't like being called out. We don't like being told that something we are doing is actually detrimental to our walk following Jesus. But here we are in 1 John 5. He says it like this. If anyone sees his brother committing a sin not leading to death, he shall ask and God will give him life to those who commit sins that do not lead to death. We know that everyone who has been born of God does not keep on sinning, but he who is born of God protects him, and the evil one does not touch him. John has written throughout this book about the family we are in. Brothers and sisters, that we are in the family of God. In fact, he'll end this section with little children, and that is not a little children like a demonstrative against us, that is little children in the family. Those who are cared for and protected by God. But here he says, pray for those who are committing sin that do not lead to death. Well, that's an interesting phrase, right? Pray for those 
who are committing sins that don't lead to death. And immediately, I don't know why, but all I could think of was like evil Knievel, right? It was like the sins leading to death. I'm going to go jump my motorbike over 14 cars. That might be a sin that leads to death, right? You're not taking care of yourself. You're not, you know, you're not thinking of others, whatever. But that was immediately what popped into my brain. I don't know why, but that's what it was. But let's think of like sins that lead to death. Paul will write and he says, basically what sin does to us is it turns us inward. It says, God gave them over to their own desires. And so what we see here as John writes is he's saying, listen, if you see a brother or sister who is living in or committing sin, pray for them, go to them. Tell them what's going on. <clears throat> now, there is this connection of people who are in the family, this connection. It's not permission to go out and be like, all oh, you sinners. No, this is talking about in that familial relationship of the body of Christ. And what it's giving is permission to say, listen, if you see someone in sin, you need to talk to them about that. You need to tell them that that's leading them away from Jesus. And I actually think this phrase here of sin that leads to death is actually a phrase of hope and not one of fear. Right? Because the first time you read it, oh, sin that leads to death. What's that sin? And we as humans, we want to quantify that, right? Because that's, it, it's, it's the classic youth group question. How far is too far? Draw me the line, youth pastor, and tell me, what can I do that then borders on sin, right? And that's something that I've encountered when I was in youth group that, that I've seen before many times, that I have friends who leave youth groups, and it's, it is part of who we are as humans to grow and learn how far is too far. But if that's our only question, then what happens is we learn about sin as a way to being like, I want to tiptoe up to the edge of the cliff. Aha, there's the cliff. I won't sin past the cliff. The problem is a lot of the times the cliffs come after a steep slope. So you think, oh, I'll make it to the edge, and the problem is when you make it to the edge, next thing you know, you're going over. And so sometimes when we read sin that leads to death, what we get focused on is how do I not commit the sin that leads to death? What is that sin? Well, the answer is, as we look at how Scripture interprets Scripture, as we look at how John writes in 1 John, he says that if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. But if we confess our sins, God, who is faithful and just, will forgive our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So the sin that leads to death is the sin that is unconfessed. And you see, I find hope in that because I go, it's not like God has set up this one sin that is, you know, in the museum behind the plate glass, right? It's not like there's this one sin that it's like, oh, that's the sin. And if I commit that sin, done, you know, over. No, what he's saying is he's saying, listen, all sin's going to lead to death. but it's the unconfessed ones you need to be worried about. Because here, as he writes and he says, 
If anyone sees his brother committing a sin, not leading to death, he shall ask God, and God will give him life. This is calling the body of Christ to look and to say, come to confession. What is the sin that leads to life? There isn't one. But the sin that is forgiven is full of life. Because John says this, we know that everyone who has been born of God does not keep on sinning, but he who was born of God protects him, and the evil one does not touch him. So let's think about that. Okay, if I am baptized, if I'm following Jesus, if that's who I am, and I'm born of God, if I'm in the family, then okay, I don't keep on sinning. Well, here's the issue. I don't know about all you, but I keep on sinning. So what is John saying to me here? What he is saying is he's saying every time you come back to that forgiveness, it is new again. Why is our entire service built around moments of forgiveness? Think about how we set up our liturgy. If you rolled into Narrative Church seven years ago, it's not much different. Why? Because when you get here, we want to sing the praises of who God is and what he's done. And then we want to remind you, you're a terrible, horrible sinner. But the reason we want to remind you you're a terrible, horrible sinner is that you don't stay there. Because then we confess our sins together as the corporate body of Christ because we say, listen, that forgiveness is already there. We're just going to refresh it. It's not that God's well has run dry. It's that you've run from the well. So we're bringing you back to the well. At confession and absolution, we say, listen, every week we need this. Why do we take communion every week? Because we believe that this meal is mysterious and a gift to us. That when God says, listen, you didn't think my forgiveness was new, you're wrong. Take and eat. This is my body for you. This is my blood for you. Why do we pray? Because we believe that God listens to us. And in prayer, it's not just about us bringing to the foot of God our wants, our desires, our joys, our hopes, but it's about Him changing our hearts. Why do we end with a benediction that is as old as the temple? The ironic benediction, the Lord bless you and keep you. May he make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord look upon you with favor and give you his peace. Because we know that when you step out these doors, and sometimes when you stand up from your seat, the enemy is attacking The temptation to sin is right there. But we want to make sure our sin is not sin that leads to death, which is sin that we leave unconfessed, that we let go, that festers, that turns inward on ourself so that we become self-reliant, self-focused. Today, I get a chance to go pick up a good buddy of mine, Mark, who's part of our um, Harvest Partnership. He's a, a church planter in Branson, Missouri. He's flying into Houston. I'll pick him up this afternoon and 
we'll spend some time with my parents before the retreat um, that starts tomorrow. But one thing he's always shared that's always blessed me, and I've shared it here before, and I'll share it again, is that we as humans who have been redeemed are simultaneously saint and sinner. That we are the people of God. We are saints. You cannot take that away. That was bought at a price. There's nothing that you can do to change that. But when I stub my toe, all of a sudden what comes out of me but the evil of the world? Sometimes what can happen is we get this idea that we are sinners trying to work back to being saints. That if we could just earn our way back into sainthood, then we'd get there. But the joy of the cross for us is not that we are sinners working our way to saints, but that we are saints who still struggle with sin. Nothing can touch that identity that God has gifted to us but the enemy's going to keep trying. And I like that John ends his book by saying, listen, if you see someone who's struggling with a sin that doesn't lead to death, bring it to God and watch him give them life. And this is also part of saying it's important for us to confess our sins, to look at ourselves with reality says, I'm a sinful person. Because you see, if we're people that focus on our sinful selves and only have that, yeah, that's going to lead to depression. That's going to lead to anxiety. That's going to lead to things of the world. And that's actually part of what the enemy wants to do. He wants to go, listen, if you look too hard at your sin, you're going to think you're a terrible person. And then you lose sight. But see, no, 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 that's not what we say. We say we are people of reality. And when we see our sin, it's not to throw a pity party. It's not to live in guilt and shame. It's to be reminded that at the cross, that is all washed away. That our sin does not lead to death. Instead, our sin is taken and we are given life. That everyone who has been born of God does not keep on sinning because it is washed away. And in fact, we start finding freedom when those sins that we have struggled with in the past, as they are forgiven and redeemed, we grow and we start leaving some of those things behind. It doesn't mean that at some point you're going to make it. Listen, I know people that I look at and I go, someday probably on my deathbed, I will be half the Christian that you are. And my guess is all of you know someone like that, that you look up to and you say, man, your faith is so strong, your trust is so strong, you know, your love for others is so strong, someday maybe I'll be halfway there. But you know what? I've been around those people when they've gotten angry, when they've lost their cool, when they've sinned. They're not perfect. The goal of Christianity isn't at some point we will be perfected. It is that we follow the Savior who is. And that we trust when the resurrection and the new life come, that's when he perfects us. Until then, we live not with blinders on, 
but in the reality that we are sinful people, but we are saints who have been redeemed. And I love that John ends his book like this because it seems so like anticlimactic. Little children, keep yourselves from idols. The reminder that says there is one God, there is one hope. Don't get focused on those idols because what forgives your sin is the God who has come and sent his son for you. Let's pray. Lord, we give you thanks for the body of Christ that calls us out when we need it so that our sin does not lead us to death, but instead leads us to new life. That sin is not about destruction. It is about bringing it before the one who washes us clean. So Lord, we pray as we end this book, keep us from idols. Focus us on you. Let us rejoice in the redemption that you now give. In your son Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you.